Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Be Her Village podcast. My name is Caitlin Legreas, and I'm the founder of Be Her Village. Be Her Village is an online gift registry for what moms really need, support, not stuff. We're talking to providers and people who care for moms in their pregnancy, their birth, their postpartum. We're talking to real moms and hearing their stories and really just getting into all the good stuff that comes along with new parenthood. So check us out, tune in, and let us know what you think. Hello, and welcome back to the Be Her Village podcast. I'm Janelle, and we are Be Her Village, a gift registry for new parents to get the funds they need to pay for the support and resources that they deserve. So just like an expectant mom might ask her family and friends to pay for a baby swing or a self-soothing crib, she can ask them to contribute funds to her support team like childbirth education, prenatal yoga, or a midwife. As I'm looking now, we have just over $40,000 gifted to new parents through Be Her Village, which means they're able to pay for the kind of care and support that they need, deserve, and desire. You can create your registry for free today at BeHerVillage.com. Today, Caitlin McGreas, founder of Be Her Village, talks with Jenny Joseph, world-renowned midwife, the founder and president of Common Sense Childbirth, and the director of the National Perinatal Task Force. And not to mention, she was one of the incredible women listed as Time Magazine's Women of the Year for 2022. This episode is incredibly educational, eye-opening, and dives really deep into the hospital systems, the history behind all of it, and how if we aren't actively working to change it, the problems, the disparities, and the deaths will just perpetuate. Jenny's work is dedicated to making these changes happen and supporting marginalized folks in all stages of their perinatal journey. And it's no surprise that people thrive when they're treated well and feel safe. I don't want to give away too much of the episode, but after you listen, I'm going to link all of Jenny's information. So if you want to get in touch with her or get involved in what she's doing, you'll be able to find it quickly. It was an honor hearing from Jenny, and I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. As always, thank you for your support. We are ever so grateful. Enjoy the episode. Always lost somewhere or another. I totally. <sighs> How, How are you? Doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah. I just, I can't keep up with myself or any of it. So I'm like a little bit all over the place. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but I'm here and hopefully we still have time. We good? We absolutely still have time. Yeah. Lovely. Um, What we've been trying to do is shorten our podcast episodes to about like 20 to 30 minutes because that's oh, okay. what find people are um, interested in. But sure. we're just going to talk because yeah. it'll get edited. And if there if on something um, that you don't want to talk about, we're happy. I'm more than happy to like cut out anything um but it's really just a conversation um about the work that we're doing and i haven't seen you since we've like launched and since you've been time it's so cool to be in the room with celebrity (laughs) well thank you and yeah it's a little bit weird and um yeah i I don't really know what it means actually like at the end of the day you know like what is that you know, I'm grateful for the honor and the recognition. And I'm certainly thinking it's going to help us, you know, in our longer term missions. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder, you know, what exactly is all this stuff? Like, what does it really mean? So other than getting dressed up and showing off, which I enjoyed immensely. And you looked beautiful. <laughs> thank you. That was it for me. It's like, okay, I've done it. Been there, done that. Next. Let's go. Like, yeah. you know, it's a lot of extra that seems like great, but also like, we got work to do. <laughs> So right. while we're doing all this other piece, which I think may hopefully have some relationship to improving or supporting or, add, you know, amplifying the work. But at the same time, 
I'm not so sure. I just think I, it's a lot of talking. Yeah, I would imagine that part of, especially just sitting here with you, hearing you say that, I would imagine part of it is like, whose interest is it in that I am portrayed on Time Magazine? Like, who is this actually saving women's lives? That's is this right. actually I mean, saving women's or is it just good yeah. press because I'm in like a trending sort of a buzzword sort of a field? Right. Yes. Honestly, look, yeah, those, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. And so, you know, it's not to be ungrateful at all. It's just that, you know, already had a whole lot of things to do. And now I'm like, oh, I have a whole lot more. And, yes. you know, we don't want to lose sight of what we're doing here, you know, like. Yeah. And I hold the line for what we're doing. You know, I'm grateful for yourself and your team and people like you who are actually like oh no hold on there's a mission here let's do that and that that means a lot that means maybe not to say i don't want to say more but you know all on the same page of like that's something i've got time to invest in and work with because we're going in the same direction mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Yeah. um i'd like to talk a little bit about what that work is but i also i don't know how to have this conversation without acknowledging Roe v. Wade being overturned or the the looming threat of Roe v. Wade being overturned. I'm happy to cut out anything around this, but I'm like genuinely would love to hear is that is that like impacting you today? Oh, it's always going to impact us because, you know, and it's from the place of rather than it's news because it's news right now again, you know, here it is right in our face and it's, you know, it's only a draft but it's still here we go. But um, I think the aspect for me and the organization as well is that one of, similar to the pandemic, like, oh, the pandemic's here and we've got a thing, we've named it and now we can do some responding to it. Mm-hmm. Well, the pandemic was always here as far as we're concerned. Mm-hmm. This issue was always here and will always be here, regardless of whichever way, whichever court blows, whichever way. It doesn't solve our problem anyway. Wow. Nothing to see here. From my perspective, and I'm not necessarily keen or even ready, I think, to talk about it only because, you know, there's the, the drama is already, the wheels have begun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we fight on like we always do. But, you know, it, the American propensity to see stuff as separate and then here's a new version of a thing that now we can now all join in with being led to respond to and react to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my experience of how things seem to play out in this country. Um, at the same time, we all agree and are complicit in, so let's just disingenuously pretend it was okay before or going to be again. Like, <laughs> right. we can't really get straight on any of these issues. Right. Massive ones like this, because we aren't straight, period. Mm. What's the, you know, so why pick and choose what we're going to pretend is real and react to and behave around it when we are all the way across the board? Right. So don't be reactive to the news because the systems and structures that allowed for this news to come out have existed, will always exist. And continue. And that is the actual work that you're doing. The problem, and I guess, you know, we should, of course, react and we should be ready and we need to fight. And I think there's plenty, there's no shortage of folk who are going to be ready to go, um, including us. But what I do feel is that you know, similar to the great reveal of this disparities in the pandemic. Mm. You know, Oprah's in the middle of doing her new film and we did some shooting for Smithsonian around this this issue and I'm thrilled to do it again. 
happy always to you know get in there and try and say something but at the same time um i don't know <laughs> you know which piece or which issue or which area if at the end of the day the, the same exact thing that has always been well the same injustices let's put it that way because if we're talking about from this human rights perspective the injustice and the um egregious lack of access to human rights is america so therefore like what's new right. you know the fact that we can now have a say let's say i'm going to say 20 years i think maybe really more realistically it might be 15 a 15 year run of oh we thought about the mothers this time so let's let's make it maternal mortality mm -hmm. you know 30 years before that oh we were talking about infants so let's call it infant mortality Oh, or on drugs. Let's do drugs now. You know, like just pick yeah. a thing and off we go. Like, oh my God, this one thing in isolation is a thing and everything else is great. No. It's like um, there's a fable and I'm totally going to mess this up, but it's like where a bunch of blindfolded people walked up and somebody said, oh, I'm standing next to a tree. You know, oh, I'm standing next oh, to a tree. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I have a vine here. And it's like, no, you're all touching an elephant, right? Like there is the elephant in the room that is... America racism and white supremacy and capitalism and classism and, and all of these yeah. things, right? Yeah. And that you're saying make up the structures of our country. And yet, so there's a different tag word, a different buzzword. A or different even a different word. event that now has us become, again, re-rise up in angst and, and um, consternation, ready to fight. And we should. We absolutely should. We must. There's no option. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, it gets old and tiring and um, it's just another layer, another area of trauma to add to the ongoing layers and traumas. Mm -hmm. And now, sadly, now we know about epigenetics. We now have that to add to, oh, God, our grandkids and, our you know, the, the, the generations to come already carrying the brunt for this new layer, additional or even just calling out whatever's going on at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of place now i think i'm not the only one that's in this sort of space of we've got to find ways to really amplify our liberation our joy our you know something other than because that in and of itself is killing us as well <laughs> you know like you add that on the list of things to wear you out and push you over the edge you know so yes i mean there's yeah. science studies evidence that 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 wearing down that you're speaking to literally impacts your cells it impacts your risk factors i'm thinking for you know women who are birthing it impacts black women are at more risk because of that sort of unseen layer of stress that is seen for certain people it's certain absolutely people. seen yeah, yeah. it's no, seen but there's um, an entire population that's not seeing it and those people are the ones that are in power and administering the medical treatment largely mm -hmm. yeah so and Jen, all of our major industrial complexes have the same problem whether it's you know prison industrial complex or non-profit industrial complex or public health industrial you know you can go on the institutions are the perpetuation and the condoning of this is okay or we'll at least work on it from aspect of let's talk about it make some money do some research come back again keep talking that's about all we need to do I think this is part of what, when we first met, made there be like this click. It was like, oh, we're not working within the structures. We're not doing no. 
You certainly, I mean, I'm brand new at this, right? I'm a doula. Beaver Village is my first major initiative in this way of of this Mm -hmm. sort of like, let's just bypass all the BS, all the red tape, all the traditional ways that I should be doing things. And let's just give, let's get a direct pipeline of money into the people that need it. But Mm -hmm. Jenny, you've been doing this work for decades, Perinatal Safe Spots and Beaver Village. That's our collaboration together, right? Yes. That, as you said in your Time Magazine feature, Perinatal Safe Spots is like, this is your big shebang. This is the ultimate point in your, you know, decades long career. How can you speak to a little bit to people who might be listening who don't know who you are and what you do? How with everything you just outlined about what is wrong? It's not just maternal mortality. It's not just racism in the maternal health care. It is huge structures and systems how are you how did you set out to work within them what have you found is the way that you're getting things done well I um you know first and foremost I'm a midwife so that led me and has had me in the last 40 years because I graduated in 1981 in London um what midwifery did for me was help me train me guide me into understanding the absolute human right of patient-centered or person-centered, family-centered care in terms of medical care. Midwifery technically isn't medical care, but midwifery is a modality where you provide support, education, and clinical hands-on for pregnant, birthing, and postpartum people, and even in the interconceptional time frame as well. So I grew up in that. I was 19 when I started. I'm 63 now and I'm still here. I haven't done anything else in my entire life but midwifery. Wow. But what happened with me when I got to the United States as a midwife was one, I was in 1989 anyway, people were still laughing at the fact and I said out loud, I'm a midwife. They were like, ha, we don't do that. What are you talking about? You must be crazy. No, go get a real job. So that was hard for me to understand. But then in understanding why that was so, learning the history of how the midwives essentially were eradicated, understanding the the impact that midwifery had in growing the United States as it is today. It was the African midwives, the enslaved midwives, who delivered and maintained the commodity, which was human lives, which was slavery, enslavement. That is how we are here. The midwives were charged with protecting and keeping the babies healthy, strong, and growing so that they would become part of the capitalist um, process in terms of manpower and um, work and commodification of human beings. Then after the, um, you know, slavery ended and Jim Crow was the next, the midwives, especially the black midwives, they continued to deliver America, both white and black people. And the immigrant midwives did the same with immigration. And the indigenous and native midwives have always done what they've always done. Like, there's nothing new to see here. So When you look around the rest of the world, even today, the majority of childbearing people are attended to by midwives. That's a standard in every other country. And most developed countries, the primary health care provider for women are midwives. That is a standard fact. So in the United States, um, and I came very naively, did no homework, just got on a plane, came to marry my sweetheart, lived the life of, oh, I've come to Orlando, Disney is here, streets are paved with gold, we're all set, only to find out one, midwifery wasn't a thing in 1989 and 90s, and two, that the midwifery profession as a whole, since the um, propaganda really of the early 20th century, was 
looked down upon as second best, um, not enough, fringe, maverick, out there, unsafe. Um, there were remnants of the racism, and that was really part of the reason, if not the only reason midwives were eradicated. There were remnants of, well, you know, these folk, these people of color, these black women, they cannot possibly be safe or, um, you know, the, the right provider for this specialty that obstetrics became in the U.S. And so they were eradicated systematically um, by the mid 20th century. They were all but gone, except for in very rural areas where there were no OBs surviving, providing care. And they were also castigated as unkempt, um, dirty, drunken, illiterate, all of these pieces that still hangs out. Tropes are us. We love tropes in America. This is one of our major tropes. Midwifery, ooh, right? That goes together when you put the two things together. So even the modern midwif midwife now, whether they've been trained through university methods, hospitals, out of hospitals, empirically, doesn't matter. You say midwife, someone has a reaction to that. So all of that to say that what I gained over the few years of my early years in the US was one, I have to find a new way because I can't not be a midwife. It's in my DNA. I cannot not serve in that way. And two, the people I want to serve, the people who obviously need more support than anybody else, people of color, black people, native and indigenous people, I can't reach them if I stay inside of this normal system, normal new normal system that the Americans have put in place for obstetric care. Essentially, they take highly credentialed, highly experienced providers, OB providers, to tend to all the normal births, of which 90% of births are normal. So right there, you've got a bit of a problem because in a specialty, when there's actually no specialization going on, you've got a lot of work to do to have it look like it's a specialty. Right. <laughs> That's where the interventions show up. You got to look like you're doing something. You can't charge all this money and stand at the foot of the bed and hope that putting your hand on a baby's head constitutes something. Right. No, you got to interfere. So from the early days of obstetrics, forceps were applied, um, you know, Babies were drug out of them, anesthetized mothers. Episiotomies were cut to accommodate the forceps. Women were in the hospital for seven whole days to recover from the ordeal. Babies were in the nurseries because they couldn't survive without the nurse's intervention of feeding them on the you know, routine every four hours, blah, blah, blah. The whole thing was created and is maintained to this day as there's something going on here that's extra super duper special and needs more education and level of training and therefore more money. So you bring the racket of midwifery, I'm sorry, maternity as a business. That's one major area, particularly for hospitals. That is their most common reason for admission to a hospital is maternity. And then you add the other piece, which again goes back to what I'm talking about as far as racialized care. Neonatal intensive care units are one of the larger money makers for hospitals. Mm -hmm. And the bigger your unit, the more people's babies you need to put in there to fill it. And unfortunately for us, people of color, guess what? Those are the babies. Black and brown babies fill up the NICU. Why? Because black and brown babies are being born prematurely. Why? Because black and brown women and people who are marginalized end up in a situation where they, for some reason, inside of this very broken and confused system, mm -hmm. do not do well. So... I'm here as a midwife and I'm looking at this from the outside in and I'm like, something smells really bad here. As well as when I do get the opportunity to practice from a midwifery perspective, patient-centered care, respectful care, culturally safe care, 
people thrive. That's not that complicated then, is it? No, not when you put it like that. (laughs) So here I am in this confused state, which is extremely traumatizing. So I end up with that. I got to figure a new way because I don't think I'm going to get a foot in the door in the hospital system. I actually didn't want that either at that point. But also, I don't have a population of people around who are interested with what I am looking like I'm selling you know who wants midwifery care there's a handful a few percentage points of people who want a water birth a home birth a natural birth an unassisted birth and then there's the rest of the population you know at this point there are about nine percent of the births in the year are with midwives whether hospital-based or community-based that leaves a whole bunch of people in the hospital by choice don't want anything different are happy or think they're happy with what they have Mm -hmm. so How does a midwife then, you know, stand up against that and say, no, there's a different way, a better way? Well, actually, I learned that actually, while those folk who already know about midwifery and those who are open to being educated about it will continue to drift across to the midwifery model of care, the majority of folk and inside of that majority are the folk who are suffering the most Mm -hmm. aren't coming. So I decided then we need to open this up beyond midwifery. We need to start speaking the language of folk who will then better understand what they're up against as far as disparities and poor outcomes. And that was where the perinatal piece came from. Because all of us across this spectrum of perinatal birth workers, health workers, service workers, we all have a midwifery heart. Might not be called midwives, but we're working from the same space because we're centering the mother baby. We're centering mother baby family. And in communities of color and marginalized communities, we're centering our entire community in our work, whether it's doula, childbirth educator, lactation educator, community health worker. So I just went back to my roots and I said, okay, what models of care work everywhere else in the entire world, but the United States? Oh yeah, yeah, (laughs) midwifery. Okay, well, how can we then translate midwifery model work to other people who are not midwives? And that's what opened up the JJ Way model, which is really a midwifery-like model, but anybody can apply it. So you, for example, Caitlin, you have applied a JJ Way model because you've created access to your product. You're connecting with the people who can help you create more access to more people. You provide the knowledge of how to use it and how to engage with the folk and how to keep sharing, and everybody wins. The four tenets of JJ Way are access, connections, knowledge, and empowerment in that order. Mm. Without access, we can't do anything. If you don't open up the opportunity for sharing and being generous with your work and your program, we can't do anything about it. But you did that. You opened that up. So the same goes for how I try to figure out how to be a midwife without being a midwife and how to grow that as fast as I can so as many people can be reached as possible because time is of the essence because people are actually dying for the lack of a model or models that do that. I am a midwife. I'll always be a midwife, 40 years of midwife, but I'm not about midwifery. I'm about, can we get some flipping access to some healthful, safe, quality care? That's all I'm asking. That's all anybody I think is asking. But I think in terms of operationalizing, that's what we have maybe made the effort to fine tune as a means to get to the outcome. We get those outcomes year in and year out. doesn't matter how hard we try. Even through the COVID year, we only had one premature birth out of 480 patients. Wow. Jenny, that's remarkable. But it's simple because, thank you, it's also very simple because 
it is literally doing the things I've just described, providing right. access, connections, knowledge and empowerment, keeping the mother baby centered, keeping the family centered, keeping the community centered. That is it. There's no fancy obstetrics. There's no expensive equipment. There's no hogging of power and money. There's none of that. Right. It's either you want to provide access or you don't. Either so, you want to connect with people or you don't. Either you want to share knowledge or you don't. Either you want to see them empowered or you don't. Boom, finish. It's that easy. But it's also difficult when what you're up against is most of the time it seems to be anathema to get anything done at all. Mm-hmm. What this is, um, I, I'm a little bit speechless. First of all, I didn't know, and I feel a little silly for not knowing, I didn't know about the higher rates of NICU um, visits or NICU time for brown and black babies. I didn't know that. Um, I am curious, just as sort of, as someone who doesn't know about this, I would love, I feel like I understand on a high level, but I would love to sort of narrow down in how is it, like, what is the logistics of providing community care and this patient-centered care that actually keeps babies inside of their moms longer? I'm going to try to answer that one in a backwards way in that the opposite, when people suffer, whether it's prenatally during the delivery or postpartally, and I remember when you shared your story about your postpartum experience, when people suffer, what they notice is the lack of support. Mm-hmm. the lack of care, the lack of human kindness, the lack of compassion from the medical, I'm just going to call it the medical industrial complex, mm-hmm. right? Not just the institution of the building, but everything that is that stands for what we do in, in the institutional way of providing maternity care in the States. So I'm going to answer your question from the, the converse. When we see or hear, or sometimes we never hear because people don't share about how they've suffered inside of the system and i've yet to meet a person who doesn't have a story i haven't met one every single time there's a story mm-hmm. and on varying levels of pain trauma ptsd but it's still there whether they speak about it or not so when that's the the, the default norm which it is right mm-hmm. we don't have to do any more research to figure that out no, that I, is the default norm absolutely i think we right? can all agree on that yes right and so with that we then understand that it is that exact thing that impacts folk in different ways the less power you have the less um agency you have the more physiologically and more long standing is the harm that results so you had a postpartum experience. Let's bring it to the prenatal, peri- the pregnancy side. In the pregnancy, because the fetus is still inside the body, the mother's parents' actual response physiologically is in response to these harms, hurts, pains, traumas, situations, whether it's the helplessness, whether it's the shame, whether it's the blame, whether it's the hormonal whatever milieu that brings pregnancies but whatever's going on and particularly in marginalized and black and brown folk something physiologically happens in that this child is rejected the cervix will dilate the water will break oh my god i'm only 28 weeks i'm in labor here comes the baby or 
the mother gets so sick, preeclampsia, mm-hmm. gestational diabetes. Again, the body is shutting down, cannot manage the pregnancy. Sometimes it's life-threatening and it's shutting down and the baby needs to be delivered early to save the mother, wow. right? This is the level of impact when we don't provide this automatic, every person, every time approach to supporting, respecting, listening, understanding, caring, etc. Another analogy, let's talk about animals. Anybody and everybody, including six-year-olds, know that when puppies are being born, you don't open that closet door and disturb the mother, leave her alone. Mm-hmm. You also know that when you do mess with it, you cause harm and you might even lose some of those puppies. Mm-hmm. No one has any like, oh my gosh, we don't understand. We need more research. Everybody knows this is a natural thing. Don't mess with animals. Yeah. And we're animals. We are animals. We are mammals. So the reason the NICUs are full of black and brown babies goes, I'm going to go all the way back to what I was saying earlier about the overarching America and what we have here and why we have here what we have here and why it's condoned is the reason we can build NICUs because only hospitals build NICUs according to which hospital that they want to have the biggest revenue. There's hospital wars about who's going to have the NICU. Wow. It's not a game. You know, you have levels of hospitals according to. And you place them. Right. It's like who has the helicopter. Yeah. Yes, if you have a helicopter, like you're that level, like, okay. It's also, there's a lot of politics and drama about where you place hospitals. Mm. We know rural hospitals are closing down all day long. Why? Because they don't make money. (laughs) Why else would you close a hospital, right? Right. It's not because people don't need care. It's because it doesn't. They they don't make money. Profit, yes. So we understand that the same thing is going on that has been going on since inception. And I'm talking about since 1600s inception. I'm talking about we will find a way to exploit, if you will, human chattel, commodity. So there has to be somebody's babies in that NICU Mm. to make this work. And the perpetuation of these kinds of systems allow that to be so. When you see a white baby or a large baby in a NICU, it's usually a diabetic mother Mm -hmm. who, you know, has had gestational diabetes because stuff happens in obstetrics. There's no question. There are times in obstetrics when you have true high risks for no other reason than obstetrics. Gestational diabetes, it goes together with the pregnancy. But a large baby or baby that's born, you know, from a gestational diabetic mother is not going to do well and maybe in the NICU because it's a gestationally diabetic mother. Not because it just fell out of somebody's bottom because they've been pushed from one ER to the next. Oh, we don't like this Medicaid. We don't like this card. You haven't got any money. Oh my God, you don't, you're undocumented. All of these other pieces that somehow find their way in to permeate how you're treated in your pregnancy, during your birth, or in your postpartum, or not treated. Either one is bad. Right. I mean, right? Jenny, what it sounds like, and I really am so grateful for you spelling that out for me. What it sounds like is it just sounds like these people, these parents are at just crisis levels of stress, but not for a moment, not for, you know, in like caveman days, it might be when a bear is chasing us or a tiger is chasing us. They're at that level for the entirety of their gestation. They're at that level, possibly for years and decades before that. And it pushes their bodies to a breaking point. 
it certainly does and it does go through generations there's definitely that science of epigenetics that talks about the generational um genes that you know activation of genes that continues through through years so you know and the fact that we learn more and more about like for example you're carrying your over um you know already connect to your grandmother and all this kind of thing mm -hmm. what really is key and it's a really good point that you make the what we call weathering that is like continual wearing away it doesn't just affect um you know pregnant people it affects us all mm -hmm. which is why the tropes show up such as oh black people have high blood pressure yeah not because there's something wrong with black bodies right but because this is america and in america Hard the way black, black people living breathing while black will probably lead your stress level to bring your blood pressure so that you can die of a stroke at age 60 that's my husband gone 60. i'm sorry jenny yeah because continual wearing away heightened um you know alert flight and fight all day long every day on whichever levels right so when we condone by our judgment of well they would only eat better well oh god they don't see the doctor right well you know they were told to get the vaccination and they just didn't right. well blaming all blaming shaming condoning allowing the continuation and perpetuation of systems that are inequitable agreeing that well at least i can circumvent so i'm good no need to worry about that i know which hospital to go to mm -hmm. i know where i can get seen yes oh my friend from church works at such and so i'm going over there oh when i get there i'm going to call my doctor buddy from the dinner party that i was at last week who can move me faster through round and in between of what is already known to be broken i can get access to good insurance because i got a, a job that matches good insurance on and on all of that is yeah. condoned this is not by accident this is a continuation and a perpetuation each few decades we have a different iteration mm -hmm. but we can move it all the way back historically and we can see the genesis and we can see the agreement that they should continue wow this is really yeah. beautiful jenny I, I don't know that I've ever had these problems laid out for me um, in the timeline that you have laid, the, like the, the stepped back overview. And I'm really grateful for you for that because I've done, as a white woman sitting here having this conversation with you, I, I, you know, I walked into this conversation thinking, I know I've, you know, I've done my work, I've unpacked things and I have not even begun actually, because this is. You're really um, helping me understand the actual issues and 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 more so understand that I have no idea what people are going through. Just absolutely yeah, no and idea. that's not any accident either. And you know, it's really helpful that folk are beginning to look deeper, dig deeper, unpack more, and that's a great um, step in the direction. And we're on our way, and we keep having you know, these talks and we share, we educate, and that's great too. Right. And at the same time, right. alongside of that is the acceptance of, oh my God, we're dead last in the developed world for maternal mortality, morbidity and infant mortality. But, oh, you know, we're working on it. <laughs>
Nobody's, so, you know, Jenny, I don't know that anybody's working on it. I, I think we are genuinely trying. This is our version of working on it. I but, know, I know. You know I, I mean, I know we are working on it. I know that there are people like us that are working on it. I just like, I'm not sure that anybody that actually has the power, wealth, pull, you know, that is sitting in these positions that they could rewrite a policy in their hospital. They could, you know, like there's things that, yeah. that could happen. And this is where... I don't know. It's it's it feels sometimes hopeless. I wonder. I want to talk about perinatal safe spots and the National Perinatal Task Force, mm-hmm. but I I feel this urge to ask you this question. Um, how do you continue this work? How do you do it without getting burnt out? Oh, I'm extremely burned out. I would say burned out to a point of pathology, burned out to a point of unhealthily so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just mentioned. You know, my husband died prematurely as far as I'm concerned, from just keeping going. And I, you know, made the promise I'm not going to do the same. And here I am. Like, there isn't really much option. It's like any other major movement, where the injustice is, you can't stop. But it is important to name what it is and to understand what it is. Otherwise, you know, it's all for show. And I don't think that there's any more space or room, certainly in my world, for that, right? Like, I really want to at least keep moving in a direction, lay the groundwork, hope that the youngsters will follow behind and that this is really generational work, but we can reach some generational type of change. But first and foremost, and you know what I think keeps me from totally going over the edge is telling the truth. And so, you know, the more folk that can hear that information and message from the point of view of this is actually what's so, then we've got a place to start to change it. So not that you could ever say that makes the burnout worthwhile because mm-hmm. there's no real excuse for getting burned out to this level. And at the same time, you know, I think any and every other movement builder has that same tension between, I just need to lay down and take a nap, but actually it can't do it quite yet, right? That sort of figuring out where's the balance, right? So we all the foot soldiers, when they show up, Add to oh, nearly there, nearly there, nearly there, soon, soon, and hang on, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you show up, people like you who say, listen, we can find a way with what we're already doing, and it's not going to be, you know, any major detriment to us, but it's also going to be quite a, a large boon and a support to the movement towards justice. So, we can hope for more folk and we can keep sharing so more folk are aware of the actual useful ways that they can support. Right. And so even as burnout sort of threatens to engulf me, I'm like, no, hold on, because there's people out there. Right. And we can keep moving as more and more f- people come to the to the rescue. So, you know, without being dramatic, you know, it's like the Underground Railroad, like people had to supply their house or their basement or mm-hmm. you know what I mean they had to be watching out that's what we're doing that's what we're looking for but regardless we're going to carry on we will prevail you know but the more folk that show up the more who understand what's the truth about what's going on yeah the sooner we'll get there and yeah I'm getting old and tired but I'm I know there's so many young folk who are lively and engaged and determined and are on the ground already and as our task force grows Sometimes I just marvel at how many are out there and how we find each other, support each other, because we're doing this one through collective care, collective leadership, 
developing the workforce, supporting the workforce, acknowledging the workforce, mm-hmm. and recognizing that we can do it together. Can no one can do it alone? Right. And I'm very grateful. I mean, I love the language that you use for your organization, be her village. Yeah, because that is exactly the concept. Absolutely. And Jenny, I'm so grateful to be one of the people that can support your work and that I can do that through Be Her Village. Um, Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned it, like my postpartum experience was very isolated, very alone. I had no idea. And it felt like I was just thrust into this whole new place without any direction and guidance. Um, So the village is important. The community is the answer to all of this. Um, Yes. Can you speak a little bit about what the National Perinatal Task Force is and how people yes. who are moved by everything you just said can get involved? How can how can the people who are listening help? Yes, so the National Perinatal Task Force is really a movement building arm of our organization, Common Sense Childbirth. So we have clinical side, we have a midwifery training school, we have institute where we train perinatal workers but the task force is where we do our organizing work where we are growing a network of like-minded folk and those folk are running what we call perinatal safe spots as perinatal safe spot could be an actual physical location or a virtual location but it's basically a place where parents in that community can reach out for support and help and know that they will be safe a perinatal safe spot houses resources um, it, it has workforce, whether community workers, doulas, childbirth midwives, doctors. They have the safest route for you to travel through your perinatal landscape in your local. That's the key. That's why we have so many safe spots. Right now we have around 170 registered throughout the nation, and it's growing all the time. So the National Perinatal Task Force stands two ways. One, to support the families and then also to support the supporters, the providers. How people can help us is by being aware of what we're doing and aware of our work, donating to our work, and also standing, if not people of color with lived experience of what we're talking about, to stand as allies, rather than insert themselves into, well, I'm gonna fix this, I'm gonna be a doula in this and that neighborhood and zip code, which I would never ordinarily go near, but now I'm ready to go save the world, no. We're not looking for that support. We're looking for, can we be supported to employ, deploy, and utilize the folk who have the lived experience, the cultural congruence and safety that goes with matching the people that they're trying to serve and that in turn need help to be supported because most of the work they do is uncompensated. So allyship looks like not just financial funds and support, but opening doors, sitting at on boards, being at the meetings, talking about what's going on from the purpose point of view of telling the truth and then recognizing that when and if funds show up or resources show up that they get pointed to the people who are doing that work as opposed to let's all just hog and join in here we're going to do stuff in our little piece and want it to work for that's historically what has not worked it's not that people have not been willing but as long as we do this hogging and commandeering and this sort of Um, what's the word, territorial way of being, nobody wins. Wow. Well, that's that's pretty simple, Jenny. I love it. All right. (laughs) So the website is perinataltaskforce.com. As it sounds, perinataltaskforce.com. We'll put it, we'll absolutely put it in the show notes. 
Thank Penny, you. you are a force and I am, I am very grateful for your time today. I see how many different directions you're being called into. Um, thank you for letting me be part of this and part of what you're building. And I'm just, I'm really, you. I'm really grateful for you. So this is, this has been eye opening just this conversation. And I thought I knew what I was talking about. I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know well, anything. It really, really speaks to as well, your willingness to be a support in that authentic way. And so we were grateful, very grateful. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jenny.